The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Great. Thanks, Jared. Um, yeah, if you've got your Bibles open, you'll hopefully be looking at John chapter 1. If you're using one of those scripture journals at the back, um, they're hopefully helping you and blessing you as we walk through this. Um, so if you are looking at John 1, you are in the right spot, but I'm just going to ask as well, um, if you can, flip to Genesis 27 or Genesis 28 around there um, and put your finger there or a bookmark or a pen or something like that because those chapters are going to be really important for us as we uh, look at what what this passage is saying to us today. Um, I've had a bit of a wrestle with this text this week. I've, it's been a bit of a journey. It's been a bit of a, a bit of a wrestle, and I wasn't actually sure at the beginning of the week if I was on the right track or not. Um, but I sat on it for a couple of days, and I've come to the conclusion, uh, really, at the end of the week, that yes, this is actually where, where we land here. This is actually what uh, this is actually what John was, what Jesus was talking about, and what John is writing to, to us about. And I want to humbly submit to you this morning that what this passage calls us to is to come to Jesus, seeking Jesus. Not to come to Jesus, seeking only what he can do for you without seeking him himself. Come to Jesus for Jesus, not come to Jesus for what he can do for you. Some people come to Jesus with a bit of a subtle expectation in mind that following Jesus will improve their life, their, their financial position, their, their, their social standing, their health or whatever, that Jesus is going to make their life <clears throat> maybe around... 15% better or something like that. That Jesus is going to make things a little bit easier for me. Others, though, come to Jesus and what they want is Jesus himself. They, they don't just want his stuff, they want him. And regardless of whether or not their life is filled with material blessing or any other kind of blessing, they still just want Jesus. And this latter person is who we are called to be as we come to Jesus. Not, not to come to him for ourselves, but to come to him for him. Yes, Jesus blesses us absolutely, but the ultimate blessing is himself. This is what Jesus is saying in this passage. But it's not immediately obvious. What we have to get used to as we are working through the book of John is that Jesus is going to say things that will leave us scratching our heads a little bit. My New Testament lecturer used to tell us, he, he used to speculate that all the disciples would have been bored because they would have been pulling their hair out trying to understand what on earth Jesus was always talking about because he very often wasn't just talking to that person or to that situation. He was talking on <clears throat> multiple levels. Talking on multiple levels, not just talking to that person, but actually talking about something else at the exact same time. He's got far bigger things in mind. And we come across in our passage today two of those times where Jesus says things that, that leave us asking the question, or left me asking the question, what on earth is he talking about? Like, what on earth does that mean? And we need to dig deeper to find out what, what he's actually saying. And I want to focus on those today. That's in, the, in verses 47 and 51. I want to focus on those two particular lines today, those two particular verses, because uh, not just because they were a little bit confusing to find out exactly what Jesus means, but actually because they take this passage just a whole lot deeper. See, John wants us to read those verses and understand what they mean. 
if John, like, I don't know about you, I, I, I'm often very tempted as I read through the Bible, if I read a sentence or Jesus says something that just doesn't make any sense, I often just keep reading because I'm just like, oh, that's just for the too hard basket. I'll get back to that some, at some stage. But our conviction as Christians as we read the Bible should be, if John wrote it, if God put it in his word, he wants us to understand it. He wants us to read it and take it in. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be focusing in, focusing particularly on verses 47 and 51. We're talking today about this guy, Nathaniel. Nathaniel who, who follows Jesus. And Nathaniel is an interesting case. He's interesting because, well, first of all, many people believe that he was actually uh, known more so by his other name, his, his family name, Bartholomew, which would make him one of the 12 disciples then. Um, I think the evidence for that is pretty compelling. Um, he seems to be a genuine seeker of God. Like there are some people in the Bible who, particularly as we read through the New Testament, we see these people who pop, who pop up and they, are, they, they seem to be genuine seekers of God. People like, like Simeon and Anna as they are waiting um, for the, the arrival of the Messiah. People like the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah, trying to understand what it meant. Or people like Cornelius, the, the Gentile, who the Apostle Peter comes across and God brings them together. And Cornelius, he was a God-fearer. He, he, he prayed to God, but he had no idea who Jesus was. These, these are people who are genuinely seeking God. And I think we can put Nathaniel into that category. They are people who regardless of their ethnic heritage, regardless of their religious background, they are genuinely seeking God out. And this is who I think Nathaniel, this is where I think Nathaniel fits into. So what we're going to do, we're just going to walk through this text just quite briefly, and then we're going to go back to verse 47 and back to verse 51 and, and really ask the question, what do those verses mean? It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So they were at Bethany at the time, and then Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and there he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, it was actually quite unheard of that a, that a, uh, a rabbi, a teacher, would call disciples to follow him. Normally, it would be the other way around. Normally, the disciples would go to a rabbi and ask if they can follow him, or their families would go and do that. But, but Jesus flips this around, and he invites Philip to be one of his disciples. And John says that Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we, now I'm assuming he's talking about himself and Andrew and Peter and John there, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and so do the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. God's people had been awaiting the Messiah awaiting the one who had been spoken about in Moses and the prophets, the, the law and the prophets. That's what, that sums up both of them. And, and Philip is saying, we found him. Like imagine hunting down a treasure as a group of people and one of, them, one of you finds the treasure. That's what Philip comes to Nathaniel. We found him. It's Jesus. Son of Joseph from Nazareth. That's a fairly boring sentence there. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. It's just like an identifier. And it's quite remarkable that this is, when I say boring, it's just plain. It's just like, oh, this, is, this, is where, this is who he is. This is where he's from. And he's the Messiah. Now, Nazareth was a, apparently a fairly small, insignificant town. Um, it was also quite traditional and orthodox. 
And Nathaniel, uh, we read later on, is actually from Cana, which is just a few miles away from Nazareth. And so um, scholars kind of speculate that maybe there was a bit of tension or a bit of rivalry between Cana and Nazareth. Um, and so it's for those reasons, Nathaniel responds, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? As in, really, the Messiah is from Nazareth? Like, from there, really, of all places? Philip replied, come and see. I mean, there's nothing more you can say to that. Just come and see. And this brings us to verse 47. It says, Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And if we're wondering, what on earth does that mean? I think we're asking the right question. Like, what does Jesus mean by saying that here is Nathanael, and in him there is no deceit. Is he saying that, here's Nathaniel, here's a guy who has never lied. Is that what he's saying? Here's a guy who has never stretched the facts. Here's the guy who has never tipped the scales or spun the truth or exaggerated the tale. Here's Nathaniel, and he's, he always tells, the, is that what he's saying? He always tells the truth? Like, is Jesus saying that Nathaniel is the kind of guy that if you ask Nathaniel, hey, Nathaniel, how big was that fish? He's not going to say, the fish was this big. He's going to tell you the truth. The fish was actually this big. Or if you say to Nathaniel, hey, Nathaniel, does this dress make me look fat? Nathaniel's going to tell you the truth. He's not going to, you know, dance around that. He's the kind of guy who tells you if your zipper's down or if you've got some parsley in between your teeth or if you've got like a schnabby up your nose or something like that. He's that kind of friend who's going to tell you the truth. Is that what Jesus is saying? That this is who Nathaniel is? Like, because if that's the case, it is Jesus saying, here comes someone who would make an excellent candidate for discipleship. Because if that is what Jesus is saying, that crushes me, my heart. Because Jesus could not say that about me. He couldn't say that about me. I'm, I'm not, I, no one can say of me, here comes Jimmy, someone in whom there is no deceit. Well, you shouldn't, see it, you shouldn't say that about me. Is that what Jesus is saying? That Here's a guy who would, oh, he's going to make an excellent disciple. He's already pretty good. I don't think that's the case because I don't think there is actually anybody we can say, oh, such and such, they would make a really great Christian. That's not true about anybody. None of us are worthy of, of, of being saved by Jesus Christ. None of us would, would make really great disciples. We are all, we've all fallen far short of the glory of God, and we need to be saved by Jesus. So I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think this text actually lets us think that either. And we'll come back to why that is the case in just a minute. Nathaniel then asks the question, how do you know me? He's not denying what Jesus said, but he's really curious. How do you know me? And Jesus displays his divine knowledge and says, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Before Philip called, before Philip called you. So when, it tells us when Jesus called Philip, he was also calling Nathaniel. Jesus knew that by calling Philip, he was also calling Nathaniel as well. And a quick question we could ask ourselves is, who else, who also has God called by calling us? Who has God called to follow him 
Because he's called us. Who in your life has, who has God put in your life where you can be the Philip to Nathaniel? Who, who has God put in your life that you can go and say, hey, come and, we, we found, I found the Messiah. I found the one who's forgiven sins. Now this really gets Nathaniel on the hook when Jesus says this. Something about him being under the fig tree really captures his attention. Scholars have, have, have poured countless hours into trying to find the meaning behind this fig tree. What actually happened there? Like, why is the fig tree significant to that? Uh, I personally think that um, something significant took place in Nathaniel's life. Something that only he and Jesus knows. And the fact that Jesus knows about it blows Nathaniel out of, out of the water. We don't know what it is. John doesn't tell us. John doesn't tell us the significance of the fig tree, which means it doesn't really matter. But what, what does matter is that it mattered to Nathaniel. That Jesus said something about a fig tree and that blew Nathaniel's mind. What is important is that it totally grabbed Nathaniel's attention. And he said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now that's a massive statement. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And if we zoom out for just a moment and we look at uh, the reason, we remember the reason why John wrote this gospel. He tells us in John chapter 20 verse 31 that uh, he tells us that it's, uh, we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing we would have life. And here is Nathaniel saying, you are the son of God. And Nathaniel is actually the first person, other than John the Baptist, to correctly identify Jesus as he is. You are the Son of God. This is the, this is the big announcement. You are the Son of God. He's saying, you're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one who Moses and the prophets all spoke about. You're really him. In verse 50, Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? you will see greater things than this. In other words, if you think that was cool, Nathaniel, you should see what else I can do. And then Jesus speaks not just to Nathaniel, he also speaks to, uh, he also speaks to those who were there, probably Andrew and Peter and Philip and John as well. And we know this because when he says, you will see, true I tell you, you will see that you is actually plural. It's something we can't see in our English translations. He says, truly I tell you, that's all of you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And again, we, might ask the, we should ask the question, what on earth does that mean? The angels ascending and descend, descending on the Son of Man. And that's the end of the story. That's the end of that part. And then we move on to chapter 2 after that. And we can be tempted in that moment to kind of gloss over this passage and just kind of go, oh yeah, it's, this is basically just a story about Jesus finding someone who, who looks like they'd be really good at following him and he says, come and follow me and you'll see angels and we don't really know what that means. But Nathaniel's going to see that and they're all going to kind of see that and then that's that. I think there's more to it than that and I think Jesus is drawing us deeper than that and I think verse 51 there is the key. Verse 47 and 51 actually work together in this. Because in verse 47, there's this uh, strange saying, 
Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And, and that kind of gives us a little bit of a clue. And if all we had to go on, what Jesus is talking about, if all we had to go on was verse 47, we'd kind of be clutching at straws. But the, the reference there to angels ascending and descending kind of seals the deal. Because what this is a reference to is a guy in the Old Testament in Genesis 27 and 28 named Jacob. And Jacob had this grand vision of angels ascending and descending. And and verse 47 and 51 both connect us back to Genesis 27. It, It kind of seems a bit vague, but when we go back and we have a look at it, I think this is what Jesus is talking about here. So let's talk about Jacob. Jacob had two really defining moments of his life, two encounters with God. In the first encounter with God, and we can read about this in Genesis 28, in the first encounter with God, he has this vision of angels ascending and descending a staircase that extended from earth up into heaven. And he saw angels coming down and going up on this staircase. And that happens at a time when Jacob is actually running away from his family. His older brother Esau was trying to kill him, and so Jacob is, Jacob is fleeing his family, and he sees this vision. In the second encounter with God, he wrestles a complete stranger who turns out to be God. And, and this happens when he is on his way back to his family around 20 years later. You see, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, the great patriarch of the Israelite nation. And God made the covenant initially with Abraham that God was going to save the world. God's means of salvation, the way that God was going to bring his act of salvation into the world was going to come through Abraham's family, specifically through one particular descendant, the one that we come to know as the Messiah. He was going to send the Messiah to rule God's people and to save God's people. And this messianic blessing, this messianic promise, was to be handed down from generation to generation, kind of in the same way that you might hand down a precious heirloom in the family. Because as you hand it down, it can't be split up between siblings. Like imagine if there was a, like a, a very old antique watch or ring or something like that that was handed down from generation to generation. That's got to go to one child, one descendant each time. And that's kind of how this blessing worked. If the blessing was going to be handed down to somebody, that meant that the Messiah was going to come from his family tree, his family line. And so this family, this this messianic blessing, it got handed down from Abraham to Isaac. And then Isaac really wanted to hand down uh, the the messianic blessing to his oldest son, Esau. He really wanted to hold it handed down to his son Esau, but that was not God's plan. God's plan was to hand it down to Jacob. Jacob and Esau are, are twins. And it's the, the, the incredible story of when they were born, Esau was born first, and Jacob came out after him, holding on to his heel. Crazy story. And what Jacob does, because the blessing is meant to come to him, he's he acts deceitfully. And under the direction of his mother, his mother Rebecca, he, he tricks his father Isaac. He deceives him. And he deceives him and he, he puts on, Isaac's lost his sight by this point and Isaac puts, uh, Jacob puts on Esau's clothing and makes himself smell like Esau and he comes in and he takes the blessing instead of his brother. He lies, he deceives 
and he is the one who gets the messianic blessing. Esau is outraged by this, and he says to his father, bless me too, father. But he replied, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And if you read the Greek Old Testament, that word deceitfully is the exact same word that Jesus uses when he talks about uh, Nathaniel, the man in whom there is no deceit. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So this connects us with verse 47. Now, this is not the only time that this word deceit is used in the, in the Old Testament. It's the first time, but it's not the only time. So we've got to dig a bit deeper. Esau then replies, isn't he rightly named Jacob? You see, Jacob's name means supplanter or deceiver. That's what the, what the word Jacob, that's what the name Jacob means. I don't know about you, if you've ever looked up your name meaning, um, sometimes you get really good ones, sometimes you get really terrible ones, like supplanter and deceiver. When I I was younger, um, I looked up the name James, because that's, some people don't know this, Jimmy is actually short for James, even though two syllables is longer than one syllable. Anyway, go figure. But I looked up the name James, and it said, I, I, was, I was excited about looking at my name. I thought it was going to mean strong or gift of God or handsome or something like that. I got really excited and I looked it up and it said, um, it's a derivative of Jacob. And I was like, Jacob's a pretty famous guy in the Old Testament. That's going to be good news for me, right? Looked up the meaning of Jacob, deceiver. Thanks, mom and dad. That's really great. I appreciate that. Like, wh- like I don't know why that's, but that Jacob got that name. He got that name Deceiver. And, and these names are really important. His names are really important. Jacob, he is the one, he is the deceiver. So keep that in mind. Jacob, his name means deceiver. Esau, I'm sorry, I'm going through this story because there's no short way around it. Esau vows to kill Jacob. And so Jacob runs away. He's, on the, he's running from his family. He's running away. He's fleeing from it. And it's here that he has, on, um, on the first day of his journey, he, he falls asleep on a rock and he has this incredible vision, this defining moment of God in his life. God visits him in this dream and he's given this vision of angels ascending and descending this stairway, this place that he calls Bethel. It's the stairway to heaven or Jacob's ladder. This is where we get the terminology from. It began on the ground. And it reached all the way up into the sky. And there were angels in, ascending and descending on these stairs. And so that's, that connects us to verse 51. And God was standing with him. And uh, he says this, and I'll read Genesis 28, 13 to 15 for you. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out towards the west, the east, the north and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So this is the the messianic blessing. The same, very similar terminology, very similar words that was used for Abraham as well. It says in verse 15, "Look, Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will be with you. He's standing there with him. I will not leave you. Jacob woke up, and he was amazed at this. 
and he considered the place to be of great importance, so he names it Bethel. But then he does something really strange. He, in response to God, Jacob says, if God will be with me, so look at that word if, if God will be with me, he's making a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. Now that's strange. Because God just promised him that he would do all these things. But Jacob is trying to make a deal with God. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you do this for me, then, then I'll follow you. Then you can be my God. Then you will be my God. See, Jacob wanted this blessing. Jacob wanted that because he wanted to rule over his brother. He even deceives his own father, Isaac, to get this blessing. That's how much he wants it. And then he has this encounter with God where God makes this promise to him and he says, if you do this for me, God, only if you do this for me, then I will worship you. Then you will be my God. If God gives me what I want, then he will be my God. And this is so indicative of how often we approach God. I'll be a disciple so long as God gives me what I want. Now, we might not think of it in those terms, and we can probably create a caricature in our mind of who we kind of think of with that, like somebody who who never wants anything bad to happen to them or somebody who wants to be rich. But but I, I think deep down in our hearts, that same attitude still kind of resides. Like, God, I'm not expecting you to make me rich, but I still want a bit of comfort in my father. I want a bit of a buffer, right? Like, God, I, like, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting that, you know, um, you're going to provide me with a six-pack in my life. You know, that'd be really nice. But at least keep, you know, cancer away. God, God I, I know that there's going to be difficult times in my life, but that, don't make it too hard. And we think this way, and we, we, we put these conditions upon God that, God, if you do this, then I will follow you. And if we do that enough, if we, if we treat that way enough, then we'll start interpreting every single time that life doesn't go away, every single disappointment, we'll interpret that as God removing his love from us, which is never the case. It's not the case. And if we do that enough, if we do that enough, we'll start to conclude that God doesn't love us and we'll stop following him and we'll say, God doesn't love me. Why should I trust him if he isn't going if, if, he, if, this, if this is how life is going to treat me. Jacob is making this deal with God. Well, Jacob keeps going on the run. It was meant to be just for a few days, but he ends up, it ends up being 20 years. And he gets married a couple of times. He has a couple of wives, a couple of concubines. Um, he, he gathers, he has lots of children. He, he amasses a huge amount of wealth for himself. And it comes to the time that he, he, he decides it's time to return home. He, he wants to go back and he wants to rule over his brother. He wants to take his spot in the family, uh, take, takes what he thinks is rightfully his. And so after 20 years, he finally can. And in Genesis 32, if you want to turn there, as he's returning home, he's laying out these plans for how he's going to deal with his older brother Esau, whom he had tricked all those years before. Esau was what stood in the way of him getting what he wanted. He, he knew what he wanted. He, he tried to make a deal with God to get what he wanted. Esau was the thing that in his way. 
And so he comes back um, in quite a lot of humility. He comes back willing to make amends, willing to pay. He, he wants to sort things out. He's coming back, working out how to deal with his, with his problem, Esau. He thinks that the biggest problem in his life is Esau. But on his way back, he discovers that it's not that he has to deal with Esau. He has to deal with God. Jacob is on his own one night. And he's preparing for this rumble with Esau. He's getting ready. He's, he's willing. He's, he's accepting the fact that Esau might even try and take his life. And out of nowhere, a total stranger turns up and starts wrestling with Jacob, like physically fighting with Jacob. And Jacob doesn't realize this, but he's actually fighting with God. He's actually wrestling with God. And it looks like they're evenly matched. The fight goes on all night, and neither fighter can gain advantage over the other. And that goes on until the morning, and God decides that enough is enough, and he merely touches Jacob's hip. He just touches his hip, and he dislocates his hip, and totally incapacitates Jacob. And in that moment, Jacob realizes that he's been wrestling with God that entire time, and God was basically restraining his strength, because all it took, all he needed to do was just touch Jacob. Just touch him on his hip, and bam, dislocated. So God was restraining his immense power, And so Jacob then grabs hold of this man. He's grabbing hold of him and he doesn't let go. And the man says, let me go for it is daybreak. If you've been with us before, you'll know that as we've been walking through John, nobody can see God's face and live. The sun's coming up. Jacob's going to be able to see the Lord's face. And so he says, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. What does his name mean? It's deceiver. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. When Jacob had his first encounter with God and he saw the stairway to heaven and the angels ascending and descending, he was only interested in getting from God what he wanted for his life, financial prosperity. He wanted provision. He wanted to be established in his father's house. But here in the second encounter with God, he wants God for God. How do we know he wants God for God? Because he wants to know God's name. And if you remember, if you go and you look at in Exodus in, in, um, when Moses wants to see God's glory, God agrees. He says, yes, I'll show you my glory. I'll show you this. And he passes in front of him and he proclaims to him his name. The glory of God is, is held in his name. The name of his God is the blessing. It is his glory because that is his nature. That's who he is. God is the ultimate and chief and most important and supreme blessing. It's who he is. When God visited him the first time, Jacob was only interested in getting God so far as God could give him what he wanted. When God visited him for the second time, Jacob was now interested in getting God because he suddenly realized that God is the chief blessing. He wants God for God. He left as Jacob. And he returned as Israel. God changed his name. He left as Jacob and returned as Israel. So come back to John chapter 1 and we look at verse 47 again. 
Jesus says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And some scholars would even go so far as to say, you could understand this as, here is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. In other words, here is someone who is coming to me for me. Here is someone who is coming to, to get me, not my stuff. Not just my, he doesn't just want salvation because it's good for him. He wants me because he knows that I am good. Nathaniel was coming to Jesus, not because he wanted what Jesus could provide, but because he wanted Jesus. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Now, if you're anything like me, you're struggling with this. Because you're feeling like more of a Jacob than an Israel. That's how I feel. You know you're more of a Jacob than Israel. When it, come, when it comes to your faith, you feel like you're a massive fraud. Like you've been deceiving people. Like you've been even deceiving yourself. Well, the Bible has really good news for deceivers and for supplanters. It's got really good news for Jacobs. The good news is that God came to save sinners and liars and deceivers and murderers and gossips and exaggerators and swindlers and manipulators and adulterers and idolaters and the greedy and the malicious and the toxic and the bullies and the failures. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And we know this because God did not leave Jacob. When Jacob tried to make a deal with him, God comes, this is what I can offer you. And Jacob goes, well, I'm going to make a deal with you to try and get exactly what I want, and I'm going to do what I can to get that. If it was me in that scenario, I would be like, well, stuff it. You don't, you don't get this. And, and would have left him. But God in his grace does not leave us. God in his grace draws us close to him and ch he changes us. Jesus said in Luke 5, it, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When Jesus calls Nathaniel, he's not saying, oh, he's a righteous one. He's going to be easy for me to save. No, he, he's come to call sinners. You, you see, what each of us need to know is that we actually are sick. And our sickness is sin. Our greatest sickness, our greatest problem is not financial difficulty. It is not cancer. It is not divorce. It is that our sin has placed us in the firing line of the wrath of God. Our greatest problem is not physical. It is not emotional. It is not relational. It is not financial. It is not material. It is spiritual. Our greatest problem is that we must face the wrath of a holy God. Jacob thought that his biggest problem, the biggest problem in his life was his older brother Esau. He was wrong. His and our greatest problem is that we must face God. We must face God. Every single one of us must face God at one time, on, the day, on that day. And who knows, God may need to dislocate our hip in order to get us to see that. We, every single one of us, no one is exempt. We will all have to face God. That's why the sin that has separated us from God is the biggest problem in our life. And Jesus came to take away our sin and to solve the biggest problem in our life. 
our biggest need, our most comprehensive need, is actually our sin against God. Our biggest need is to be reconciled to God. And that necessarily, necessarily requires that our sin be removed from us and being made right with God, to be actually be made righteous. And the good news of the gospel is that God did not leave us in, his son, in, his, in our sin, but he sent his son. And that, that just completely blew me away this morning as we're singing that song, Only a Holy God. Who else would send his own son? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Like I sang that line this morning, and it just shook me to my core. Who else would send his only son? That's outrageous that God would send his only son to save sinners. The good news of the gospel is that God sent his son to save us. Jesus came and stepped into that unfillable and uncrossable void that was created between us and God by our sin. And this is why we have to come to Jesus for Jesus, because he's better than anything else we could ever hope for. Jesus is better than anything else that we've got going on. If we have Jesus and nothing else and everything else is stripped away from us, we are in a far better position than if we, had, than if we didn't have Jesus, but then had everything else we think we could ever possibly want. Jesus can never be taken away. He can never be lost. And he is the only one who can solve our greatest need, which is the fact that we have been separated from God. And I think this is what Jesus is pointing to when he says to Nathaniel that he will see angels ascending and descending. Because he doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, Nathaniel, you're going to see angels, and, angels ascending and descending on a ladder or on a staircase. He doesn't say that. He says, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, I'm the staircase, Nathaniel. I'm the way to heaven. I'm the way that heaven has opened up. I'm, I'm the way that heaven will be opened up to humanity. I'm the way that God will be with his people. How, how can a holy God be reconciled to sinners like you and I? How, how is that possible? How is it that a holy God who is fierce in his perfection, fierce in his white-hot, glorious holiness, be reconciled to sinners like you and I. It's only in the person of Jesus Christ because in Jesus, God put on flesh and came amongst us. He took flesh onto himself and he became a man and he lived a life that was entirely unpunishable. And then he was punished on our behalf. He took the full brunt of God's immense power. Jacob got a touch to on his hip. Jesus took the full cup of God's wrath on his head when he was on the cross. He stood in our place. Our sins are forgiven if we trust in him. Our biggest problem is resolved in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And salvation is given to us as a free gift. So come to Jesus because of who he is. That he is the God who does it. He is the God who loves us that much. Immense love. He is the God who extends his un unbelievable, amazing, free gift of grace to us. That none of us earn that. None of us are in a position where we can say, oh, this makes sense actually that you would save me, God. None of us can ever say, oh God, you know, of course you'd save me. Look how good I am. That's not actually true of you. If you think that's true, you are wrong. 
You are utterly wrong. None of us are deserving of God's love and salvation, but in his grace, he gave it to us. Salvation is given to us as a free gift of grace. This is why we confess our sins together as a church on a Sunday morning. It's because we want to remember the sin that has separated us from God and Jesus who has solved that for us. Let me finish with these words from a song we're going to sing in just a few moments. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, you and you only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.